Asshole Court is a bi-weekly podcast in which a group of lifelong friends choose a controversial public figure and examine their history through available public records and various publications to determine if that person is as much of an asshole as the general public suspects. We rate the subjects on a not-so-scientific scale, ranging from Mr. Rogers to Hitler, 1 to 11, and average out the three scores in the end for our final number. Just a reminder, our judgment has no legal weight, is strictly an opinion, and is subject to change at any time, especially in the case of new evidence. It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't. If you went to grade school in the United States, odds are that your teacher spoke of Henry Ford with the same reverence that they gave historical figures such as George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, or Abraham Lincoln. Ford, the lesson went, was a great American inventor and businessman that forever altered the course of history and the country. As one possibly apocryphal story goes, during a discussion in which a younger man was disagreeing with Ford's outlook on education and stating that Ford needed to understand that they were now in the modern age, Henry Ford notoriously reminded him that he, Henry Ford, was actually the, quote, inventor of the modern age. And as preposterous as that may sound, Ford wasn't totally wrong. His cars and company have indeed forever altered the landscape of the world. I mean, anyone that has had the pleasure of knocking boots in the backseat of a Ford Focus knows exactly what I'm talking about. But the question we're asking today isn't, how much did Ford's car company change the world? Nope. As the show name suggests, we're here to figure out whether Henry Ford was an asshole. And in order to do that, we're going to be covering a lot of stuff that your fourth grade teacher left out. So buckle up and get ready for a shockingly rough ride. This is Henry Ford. This is Asshole Court. All right, guys, so we're going to do pre-scores. Now, if I'd asked you this question a year ago, what do you think about Henry Ford? What do you think? And that's where my pre-show score is going to come from, is mm-hmm. pre-research and what I knew coming into this before we decided Henry Ford was a subject. So, obviously, you learn a lot about in school, like you referenced in the intro, Mikey, about the assembly line and the Model T. So, my uncle actually has a Model T. That's awesome. And I've had oh, a wow. chance to ride in it multiple times. Uh, it's pretty cool. It yeah. is still up really and running? Cool. Yeah, absolutely. He keeps, he's got probably six or seven cars that are real old school and real cool that he keeps up and going. Mm-hmm. He did a lot for Dearborn, Michigan. I've yeah. been there. Oh, um, yeah. if, you, if you go to Dearborn, you will know that is where Henry Ford kind of uh, laid stake for sure. Built the giant company you talked about, still around today. You don't hear much about his personal life Mm -hmm. unless you really dig in, but I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot today. So I'm going to start Henry Ford off with a pre-show asshole score of 3.5. Okay. All right. 3.5 average person. Average person. Three or four. So that puts him right in the middle territory. That's right. All right. So I don't know a ton about Henry Ford, especially Mm -hmm. if we're just talking about before we even started to dig into Mm -hmm. him. You know, I knew about the assembly line. I know him from quotes like, if you think you can do a thing or you think that you can't do a thing, you're right. Mm-hmm. And that's always been a big quote. I've always loved that one yeah. and um, believe in it wholeheartedly. But other than that, you know, I don't know too much about him other than he started the Ford Motor Company, mm-hmm. which is, uh, I mean, still a giant out in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to, with not that much knowledge on him, but I got to assume that somebody that can climb the ranks and be at the top of the Ford Motor Company, especially back 
at the turn of the century, the 1900s. Um, I got to assume he's he's got to be a little bit of a jerk if he can get that many people in motion and on the same page. Mm -hmm. So my pre asshole score for Henry Ford is going to be a 5.0. Okay. 5.0. Yeah. And I knew uh, a good bit. Uh, Obviously I selected Henry Ford. So I had a little bit more of an idea of, of the bad side of him. The uh, information wasn't too deep on what I did know, just sort of surface level. I probably would have scored him around, I don't know, five or six. So I'll go 5.5. All right. Initially off the rip. So we got a 3.5 for Randy, a 5.0 for Buddy, and a 5.5 for Mikey. Gives us a pre-asshole score of 4.66 repeating. All right, guys. Ready to do it? Let's do little, it. I'm a little surprised by your uh, your pre-show asshole score ratings. Yeah. I, I Like you said, I knew what my fourth grade teacher taught me about Henry Ford. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. American icon. Yeah. Inventor. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's, let's find out more, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. Let's do it. Henry Ford is born on a family farm near Dearborn, Michigan on July 30th, 1863, roughly three weeks after the Battle of Gettysburg. He was born into a rural agrarian lifestyle that he would come to loathe. It wasn't so much the idea of the lifestyle that bothered him, but rather the hard and monotonous nature of the work it naturally required. So he didn't like the farm work is what you're saying. He didn't. Yeah. I mean, he ended up, especially later on in life, he thought that that was a ideal lifestyle, but he didn't like the monotony of the farm work that was occurring around that time, which is all manual labor. Sure. So that's when, like I said, in his teens, he begins experimenting with switching farm tasks from human labor to machines. So now we're getting into the industrial Industrial uh, revolution. revolution, So people are interested in this. Uh, And And for instance, he'll be a tinkerer, right? Exactly. Yes. That would be a perfect word to say. Yeah. Yeah. Tinkerer Tinkerer as a teen. Yeah. Teen Uh, tinkerer. Teen tinkerer. That's it. For instance, as a teen, he had grown so tired of the relative boredom of handling one particular task all by himself that he crafted a cow milking machine into his own private masturbator, calling it the Ford Model Skeet. All Skeet. That's awesome. But no, seriously, at age 13, Ford was gifted a pocket watch by his father. He quickly took it apart, studied and reassembled it. And uh, he became so good at watch repair that his neighbors and family would pay him to do the repairs on their timepieces. Kind of cool. And that's a hard thing to do, to take apart a timepiece and put it back together. Yeah. How old was he? 13. 13. Yeah. A lot more than I was doing at 13. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I think we all had friends that would like tinker on engines and stuff like that. Like I had a neighbor that was really into go-karts. We had had this dork kid, this whole dork family in our neighborhood (laughs) growing up. No, seriously. They were we in- called him the Tankers. <laughs> no, you would have been calling Henry Ford a dork. Oh, no. dork ass dude, dude over that watch. Look, I'm trying to tell you. I know they were dorks. They were their whole family was dorks, and they were into ham radio. <laughs> okay, I swear to God, right? That tells you a little bit. Dad was a dork. Mom was a dork. <laughs> the son was a valedictorian. Went to a very prestigious school. Didn't okay. get a driver's license until he was 21. Dork. Okay. <laughs> Like, honey, I shrunk the kids over here. Yeah. Like. Great people. Great people. Honestly, we lure them into playing basketball. We needed extra men. It was they worked out well. They were I was friends with them, man. This isn't oh, bad. Man. I was friends with them. They were dorks. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay to be a dork. I'm just saying. It works out well. So right. I mean, lure men to play basketball. Look, and you know what? All the dorks out there are like, yeah way more successful than you will be you yeah you guys like, win. yeah you're right yeah. i know i was like 13 someone to give me a watch to take apart and put back together i've been like no nah, i'm good man i'm i can't figure that stuff out i quit so quick i'm like i'm good <laughs> this is too confusing for me uh, but uh by the age of 16 tired of quiet tedious farm life 
Ford left home and traveled to Detroit, where he came on as a machinist apprentice at a shipbuilding firm. In 1890, at the age of 27, he gets hired on as an engineer at the Detroit Edison Company. That's Thomas Edison. I was about to say, yeah, there's the correlation there I was looking for. That's it. Three years later, he's promoted to chief engineer. All right. So obviously super talented, very gifted. This guy's a bright mind. If he's been promoted to the tops of these companies, you know, never mind the year that it was in. If you're getting, you know, into Detroit was the hub for this kind of stuff. Certainly. So, uh, yeah, no, obviously a a super intelligent person. Yeah, he was a master tinkerer, dude. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Do we know when Edison created the light bulb? That was in the 1870s or 80s, I believe. But okay. He actually didn't even invent the full light bulb. No, sure. He figured out the filament that would work for it or whatever. That's so. exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, some sort of um, carbonized cotton. And he went on to use, like, he tried to use, like, carbonized bamboo. There was but that, you're exactly right. Stuff, the filament yeah. that he used and the length that he could get the bulb to burn yeah. is what got him the patent. We may end up doing a show on Edison someday because there was obviously a lot of anger for the way that he handled his inventions where he would basically hire people to invent for him and then take all the glory. We'll get into that. Ghost tinkerers. That's it. And then uh, take full credit for. That's it. Around then, on his own time, Ford completed his plans for a horseless carriage. It was a gasoline-powered buggy with a two-cylinder, four-horsepower engine. That's some monstrous machine right Isn't there. Isn't it, man? When, mm-hmm. the, you know, when the horse and buggy is your only other option. Yeah. Dude, that is a beast. That's it. 1896, he constructs his first model car, the Ford Quadricycle. And actually, at a meeting with Edison executives, Ford actually gets an opportunity to present his automobile to none other than Thomas Edison himself. That had to be a pretty cool experience. Yeah, uh, yeah, working sure. for Edison, then you get to show off your latest, coolest thing to yeah. the CEO, pretty much. Certainly. Uh, the problem is Edison shrugged off Ford's design because at that point, he'd become obsessed with spiritualism and the occult and was preoccupied with his latest invention, a machine that could detect and record ghost flatulence. He called it the Edison Spooky Tootie. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I could could, uh, make up fake inventions from this time all day, every day. Now, actually, Edison encouraged Henry to improve the design and then come back to him. Right. In 1898, Ford is awarded his first patent for a carburetor. uh, And just one year later, he completes a third car model, finds investors, and raises enough money to leave Edison. Uh, and he starts Ford Motor Company in 1903. Okay. How old was he at this point? What year was he born? Uh, let's see. He was born in uh, 1863. Like at this point? Yeah, I think he starts at right around roughly the age of so, 40. He was born in he was born in 1863, so he's 40 when he starts okay. Ford Motor Company. All right. Yep. Yeah. So we have hope, guys. That's we're right. Not yeah. done yet. We're not done yet. Yeah, we're not quite 40 yet. Maybe we'll start our own motor company. <laughs> <laughs> So let's talk about the big innovations for Ford Motor Company, right? Ford didn't invent the automobile. Nope. Ford Motor Company certainly wasn't the first car company. Nope. So what makes Henry Ford the arguable inventor of the modern age? For starters, Ford took a completely different approach to the car market. At the time Ford's company started, automobiles were absolutely considered a luxury item, available only to the super wealthy. For instance, in 1907, a Packard Gray Wolf two-seater sports car cost $10,000, while a nice suburban house went for around $2,000. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So and take I saw that like adjusted for inflation, that'd be the equivalent of a house being worth 1.2 million and the car and like a Viper in your driveway being worth 6 million. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it cuz you're like, okay, it's $10,000 for the car, average suburban home $2,000 if you live in the suburbs, take your home value right now, multiply that times 5, that's what a car would cost. 
That's insane. Right. Yeah, it yeah. is. Now, and, and Ford's investors initially wanted him to continue on that path. They wanted luxury cars, right? But he believed exactly the opposite. He thought, make the car cheaper. You'll do better selling lots of low-priced cars to farmers and shop clerks. And the way to achieve this was the production line, right? The assembly line. You wanted to build the people's car. That's right. That's exactly right. Volkswagen. But mm-hmm. Get everybody by bulk. <laughs> Volkswagen. That's it. Yeah, he told one of the backers of his new company that he would, quote, make one automobile like another automobile, just as one pin is like another pin when it comes from a pin factory, or one match like another match when it comes from a match factory. In 1913, Ford launches the first moving assembly line for the mass production of the automobile. This new technique decreased the amount of time it took to build the car from 12 hours to two and a half, which in turn lowered the cost of the Model T from $850 in 1908 to $310 by 1926 for a much improved model. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. What's, the, what's that inflated price on that? I don't know. I didn't actually write that in here. I just was assuming... Uh, I, I saw, I thought it was like roughly that it made it to where by today's standards, it was like the average car was $20,000 by today's standards. I saw one where he got the price reduction down. Mm-hmm. It was equivalent to like $7,400 in 2015. Something that like sounds that. about right for yeah. by the yeah. time that he was at the end of it. The yeah. eight ninety five back down to three twenty. Yeah, at three twenty five, yeah. I think it was around like seventy four, seventy three and change or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that sounds uh, about right. That was right. the two thousand fifteen number they yeah. had it at seventy three hundred bucks for a new car. I know, right? Right. And that's the thing. That's why everybody was able to get cars at that mm-hmm. point. That's he literally did change the face of the nation by doing that because I mean the ability to transport yourself away from horse and buggies and stuff like that is how you get you know, suburbs and stuff like that yeah, that sure. occur that wouldn't occur without that. You'd right. have the yeah, same you got people old people traveling from the farms yep. out to the city to work mm-hmm. for the day and then driving back home. Where What were you going to do? Hitchhike into town otherwise? Right, exactly. And how consistently could you do that? Yeah, and then you get highway systems and everything like that, right? Absolutely. So in 1914, he does something else, and that's introducing a $5 wage for an eight-hour workday. That was more than double what workers were previously making on average, and he did that as a method to keep like high-quality workers. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah. And also incentivize the smartest people from other corporations to come over to his. That's right. right, exactly, yep. And if it, you're exactly right. It forced the other auto manufacturers that time to up their game. Yeah, especially they actually the had to pay more for their top engineers to keep them from going over. Yeah, huh. exactly. Yeah, that's what, sense. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. He also hired more black workers than all the other car manufacturers combined. In a practice unheard of at the time, Ford often had black foremen placed in charge of white workers in his factories. He also hired handicapped folks, right? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think in terms of like his equal employment, he was pretty cool with all that stuff. By 1919, Ford is selling half of the cars built in America. Sounding pretty good so far, right? You're thinking, does this guy really even belong in the court? But hang on, because we're getting there, I promise. Hit your blinker. We're about to make a turn. That's it. The turning point. (laughs) Around 1912, a man named Ernest G. Liebold leaves a bank in Dearborn to join the Ford Motor Company. Within a couple of years, he becomes what amounts to Henry Ford's personal assistant. He's responsible for things like signing Ford's checks, responding to Ford's mail, controlling access to Ford, and acting as Ford's personal spokesman to the press. Liebold is an important character, and we're going to deal with him as we go throughout this. Now, another thing about Ford was that he was very much against World War I. Oh, yeah. yeah he, he didn't like war at all. No, no, not a fan. At one point, Ford told the Detroit Free Press that he would give all of his money away if he could stop World War I noting that the building of armaments by the U.S. was, quote, wasteful and war breeding. Yeah, sure. And he also was saying that the money would be better spent on cars, farm equipment, and auto mechanical masturbators. <laughs> <laughs> but on, for the betterment of the country, right? Instead yeah. of waging war and spending your resources on that, you know, 
further your infrastructure and your industry. Certainly, certainly. And he was also very vocal against people that he thought would be profiteers of war. Called them out left and right back huh. in the day. Yeah. It's funny. How that, yeah. Anyway. yeah. Because yeah. of, uh, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll get into that. We're uh-huh. going to get into that here shortly. Because of Ford's stature, a number of pacifists began reaching out to him to help with the cause. People don't realize that during, especially during World War One, before the United States got involved in 1917, most of the country did not want to get involved. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that just didn't want to get involved. Even actually in, in before World War Two, there's a lot of people that were like that. And, you know, if you look back on it now, you think, oh, everybody was like hyped to get into the war. But there was plenty of very uh, powerful people that just didn't want to get involved in World War One. Reasonably sure. so. It really wasn't our fight at the time. But he meets one of these pacifists. She was a Jewish Hungarian woman named Rosica Schwimmer. She proposed her plan to stop the war by sending a delegation of pacifists to Europe on a chartered, quote, peace ship. Ford loves the idea, and he organizes a group to book passage on a Scandinavian-American vessel, the Oscar II. Before the voyage, Ford gives an interview in which he proudly boasts, quote, we're going to stop the war. We're going to get the boys out of the trenches by Christmas. Mm-hmm. That was a headline in the New York Times. Bold statement yeah. there, Henry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Long story short, the trip is a complete PR disaster. Nobody shows up when they finally dock in Oslo. Ford gives a speech four days later, a confusing rambling about new Ford tractors, and the press ridicules him with one newsman writing that Ford, quote, must be a very great man indeed who permits himself to utter such foolishness. And I heard when the the ship got to Oslo, there was nobody there. Like you said, there was no fanfare. And there was like seven people there, I want to say. And there was, yeah, there was no greeting. And it was freezing. And they were heckling them. And when Ford got off, they were like heckling the people and kind of just ridiculing the people coming off the ship. They said they got there. He figured out what was going on. And bolted. Yeah. Got, got off and went to wherever he was staying. Yeah. Yeah. He had this big idea in his head. He shows up. It's cold and the people are there and they're having none of it. So he comes back to the States pretty embittered. Yeah. The following year in 1916, the Chicago Tribune runs an editorial that skewers Ford, calling him, quote, an ignorant idealist and, quote, an anarchist enemy of the nation and basically an all around idiot. Now, the important thing here to note is that the editorial was based on incorrect information. Hmm. So, Ford sues for libel, asking for damages of $1 million. That's about $24 million today. Problem is, being correct doesn't mean that you're not going to get embarrassed in the proceedings. Of course. Ford, he ends up taking the stand, and the Chicago Tribune's lawyer, Elliot Stevenson, goes in on him, trying to prove that Ford is an ignoramus. Here's a quick taste. Stevenson asks him, You call yourself an educator, and now I shall inquire whether you are a well-informed man, competent to educate people. He asks Ford, have there ever been any revolutions in this country? Ford says, there was, I understand. And Stevenson asks, when? Ford says, in 1812. <laughs> the War of the, 1812? Yeah. That had, all right. Right. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't us. He, uh, Stevenson, <laughs> Stevenson asks Ford, did you ever hear of Benedict Arnold? The traitor. Ford says, I have heard the name. And Stevenson goes, well, who was he? Ford says, I have forgotten who he is. Uh, He's a writer, I think. Oh. Yeah. Stevenson's demolition job on Ford would ultimately end with Ford having to admit that he was, quote, ignorant about most things. He had Henry Ford admit that? Yes. Oh, wow. Ignorant about most things. But you know what? What do we already call him? Master tinkerer? Yeah. We're going to get into this. And that's the thing. Like, you know, you can be incredibly engineer wise, Mm -hmm. um, very, very intelligent, understand the way things work. 
but you can still be not understand the world around you. Yeah, right? that's exactly right. That's right. The jury eventually ruled in favor of Ford, but awarded him only six cents in damages. The press had a field day, and Ford is mortified. Man, so pretty much he had to lay all his or air all his dirty laundry out there for six cents. For six cents, which I heard they never even paid, paid? up on. I mean, are you really gonna get? Are you gonna ask him for <laughs> Cut it? Cut a check for six yeah, cents. That lawyer could just flick him a couple pennies. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> quick before your boss walks by and you have to minimize your screen. Give us a quick follow on Twitter and Instagram, and give us a like on Facebook. Your support is much appreciated. Now back to the action. Now, if it feels like we're just piling on the Ford for our own amusement. I just want to point out something that is very important to remember going forward. And this goes back to what Randy was just saying. It is entirely possible to be a genius in one narrow area and be amazingly, shockingly stupid in many others. Sure. That's very important to remember going forward with Henry Ford here, okay? Because it's around this time that Henry Ford becomes much more open about his deep disdain for something besides tedious farm work, the Chicago Tribune, or war. And what does Henry Ford detest? The Jews. Oh, man. Yeah. Now, it's hard to say when Ford's deep, deep dislike for Jews began, but suffice it to say that by the time of the uh, Tribune libel trial, Ford wasn't shy about it anymore. According to one Ford Motor Company executive, Ford expressed to him that it was during the peace ship mission that he was let in on the secret that Jews controlled the world. Ford also told him that one day he would work to expose the story to the world. The cabal. That's right. The Jewish cabal, huh? That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, most people would think, uh, you're going to show the world, huh? Yeah, right, pal. But we're not talking about your drunk Uncle Chris ranting about Jews in the comment section of an Alec Jones YouTube video. <laughs> we're talking about one of the most rich and powerful men in the world at the time. And sure enough, Henry Ford got to work telling the world about the evils of Jewry. Jewry? Jewry. That's right, yeah. In 1919, Henry Ford purchases the Dearborn Independent. He installs an editor and hires a journalist, William J. Cameron, to listen to his ideas on the evils of Jews and to write a weekly column in his name. Didn't he have his boy buy the paper for him, his assistant you mentioned earlier? He had him in there. Yeah, in fact, Ford has Ernest Liebold bring on former military intelligence investigators to assist in gathering so-called evidence for the Jewish global cabal. Initially, the editor that he uh, hires resists publishing Ford's thoughts on Jews, but finally gave up and resigned from his position as editor. He wow. was like, I just can't, I can't, do I, can't I can't put my name behind this. this. Yeah, 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 no. Rightfully so. Yeah. In May of 1920, Ford, via the Dearborn Independent, publishes the first chapter in a series he titles The International Jew, The World's Problem. Yeah, that is the real <laughs> fucking title. <sighs> like... I don't, I don't even know how to dig into that as being the title of your article. Was it an article or a book? Oh, it was a series that became a book. It became four books. It, oh, wow. Yeah. Dude, that's You're, a lot of information. Yeah. Oh, we're, 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 you, just, we're just getting into the shallow end of this here. With that so. title, you are all in at that mm-hmm. point. For the next 18 months, The International Jew runs as a series in the Dearborn Independent and eventually gets cataloged and put into a four-volume book. And what was Ford accusing the Jews of in his writings? Practically everything. Seriously, he claimed that Jews were responsible for bootlegging. He said they were concocting N-word gin that led to, quote, Negro outbursts and subsequent lynchings. That's false. That was the hillbillies in the mountains. He claimed Jewish professors were corrupting Anglo-Saxon minds at colleges, that Jewish film producers were making lewd sex films. Ford fucking hated jazz music, and he blamed the Jew for it, too. What? 
Yeah. Yeah. There was a, he like, it was uh, the Jews who created jazz <laughs> as a way to penetrate the American culture mm-hmm. and brainwash them. Oh my God. That's give right. me a fucking break. Jazz yeah. is like the backbone of most good music. You know yeah. I mean? and it, well, and it was, I mean, arguably started in New Orleans by black people. Right. You know exactly. Um, not but, Henry Ford or, no, or, or, I'm sorry, not Jewish not, people. Not Jewish people. Yeah. I mean, there were Jewish people that were involved in it and stuff like that. But again, he just hated jazz. And so he was like, I hate jazz. So Jews had to have done it. And he's actually, the one responsible for square dancing being a part of physical education in many U.S. schools. We all had to deal with uh, doing the square dancing. Do you remember this in middle oh, school? Oh, I Absolutely. loved it. I actually got paired up with one of the hottest girls in class. Oh, are you so serious? I, I had the opposite dancing. experience of that, <laughs> where I got paired up. I don't remember who it was, but it was not a desirable character. No, you didn't win yeah, out on I that I did one. not win out on that one. Oh, I definitely won the square dancing lottery back <sighs> yeah. in the day. And you've been married ever since. It worked out quite well. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, he wanted traditional folk music to be taught to snuff out the popularity of jazz. And him and his wife set out about on a campaign with U.S. politicians to make it so. And they did. And to this day, like I said, we went to we were in middle school in the 90s. and We were still fucking square dancing to thanks to Henry Ford. Interesting. Yeah. Didn't know that. I will thank him just a little bit. There you go. (laughs) He claimed that Jews ruined baseball. Moreover, he believed that Jews themselves were poor in sports, saying that they were inherently lethargic. Quote, it is a Jewish characteristic to avoid, if possible, the pain of contest, just as it is characteristic to avoid unnecessary effort. The article went on to actually mock Jewish boxer Benny Leonard for not letting anyone hit him, (laughs) which is really half of the battle in boxing is not getting hit. Uh, and, that, and that's totally false about the baseball players. There are a number of historically great Jewish baseball players. So. Oh, yeah, certainly, man. False. I mean, this is crazy shit, yeah. dude. Uh, yeah, he it said, almost sounds like Hitler-esque. Nope. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Indeed. The uh, Jews, he said, caused the inefficiency of the Navy, which <laughs> <laughs> like that's strangely specific. <laughs> the Jews were ruining farmers and farming. Uh, he also said historically that Christopher Columbus was financed and later betrayed by secret Jews in the Spanish court. And Benedict Arnold, remember that fucking guy he didn't know shit about? Well, he said that he'd been set up to betray his country by a Jewish aide named David Franks. Jesus. So when Ford was laying all this information out in the, uh, what was it called? The Dearborn. The Dearborn Independent. The Dearborn Independent. He required all of the Ford dealerships in America to carry this paper. And to give it to their customers. That's exactly oh, wow. what I'm, yeah, I was just about to say. I was like, maybe you're thinking that, well, it's just the Dearborn Independent. How big of a newspaper could it possibly be, right? It's out of Dearborn, Michigan. Well, by the paper's peak, Ford had made sure that the circulation went from a relatively paltry 72000 a week locally in Dearborn to a nationwide paper with a circulation was just under the New York Daily News, which was the country's top paper at the time, at roughly 1,000% growth. Yeah, I mean, well, you got to assume that if half of the cars that are being sold are Fords yeah. and they're pushing them out of those dealerships. And those papers are widely available. I just imagine like the little grab a paper type little bin you see mm-hmm. with the hate speech inside of it. It's yeah. like, and come, that, come get your latest uh, Ford Taurus and yeah. the Model T was it. Yeah, you yeah. get the Model T and you pick you up a Dearborn Independent. And if you want to, we have a pinata over there in the shape of a Jew. Yeah, and apparently, I mean, uh, and I'm guessing that with it being that he was on almost every continent as well, mm-hmm. that's getting even pushed foreign. Yeah, yeah. We're, like I said, we're going to get into this because oh, it keeps going. He also popularized the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, 
a document quickly debunked as forged by the Russian Tsar's Secret Service at the turn of the century that purportedly recorded a series of lectures by European Jewish leaders that outlined a conspiracy by Jewish communists and bankers to overthrow European governments. I'm not going to get in too much into that one, but we'll get, you know, that there you go. That's just another thing. There was a lady named Madame de Shishmarov. She had actually brought the protocols of the elders of Zion to Ford's attention through the efforts of his personal secretary and general manager of the Dearborn Independent, Ernest G. Liebold. Yep. Again, uh, back to Liebold. Yep. That's it. Henry Ford's suspicion and hatred of Jews is so deep-rooted that we get this story from a Ford Motor Company executive. At one point during a late night at the office, the executive was taking a snack break and was enjoying a candy bar when Henry walks in and starts chatting him up. Shortly into the conversation, Henry leans in and, without asking, takes a bite of the executive's candy bar. Oh, wow. What? This is just really fucking weird anyways. It looked really good. Yeah. Can you, can you imagine? I'm, no, that's me my off thing. a piece it's of like, that Kit Kat bar. <laughs> well, imagine being in the break room at work and your boss walks in. Not your boss. The, the boss. The boss walks El in. And you're nervously eating a Snickers or whatnot. And he leans in and takes a fucking bite of yeah, your candy bar. <laughs> yeah, this went from zero to 100 real quick, man. Oh, yeah. What it's like, thinking? I mean, at least I, I'm good. He at yeah. least trusts me to you know, eat my candy bar. That's so. right. No, well, the executive said that a deep look of disgust swept across Ford's face. And uh, Ford said, quote, this stuff isn't as good as it used to be, is it? The executive shrugged and he was just like, I don't know, man, I guess. <laughs> Ford quickly followed up with... The Jews have taken hold of it. Oh, yeah. of course. That dude couldn't even eat a fucking candy bar without thinking about how much he hated the Jews. Jesus. So now, of course, maybe you're thinking, okay, this is all pretty bad. And you're right. But wait, because there's more. Oh, it gets worse. That's right. Because the thing is, Henry Ford's The International Jew wasn't just putting up rocking ass numbers in America in the 1920s. Nope. It had developed a fan base globally, and especially in the country of... Germany! Germany. Surprise, surprise. That's right. Here's what one Nazi leader, Balder von Schirach, had to say about it during the Nuremberg trials. I read it and became anti-Semitic. In those days, this book made such a deep impression on my friends and family because we saw in Henry Ford the representative of success, also the exponent of progressive social policy. In the poverty-stricken and wretched Germany of the time, youth looked towards America. And apart from the great benefactor, Herbert Hoover, it was Henry Ford who to us represented America. So he says straight up, I read that shit and I started hating Jews too. Jeez. Man, you're influencing the Nazis? Yeah. <sighs> Interesting. That's not a position you want to be in. No. Or he did. <laughs> he really was okay with it. Yeah, well, he didn't know much about anything else no. other than tinkering. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and if you're wondering, yes. The Fuhrer himself, Adolf Hitler, was a big-ass fan. Yep. In fact, when Henry Ford seriously considered running for president, the Chicago Tribune asked Hitler about Ford as president in an interview on March 8, 1923, to which he replied, I wish I could send some of my shock troops to Chicago and other big American cities to help in the elections. We look on Heinrich Ford as the leader of the growing fascist movement in America. We admire particularly his anti-Jewish policy, which is the Bavarian fascist platform. We have just had his anti-Jewish articles translated and published. The book is being circulated to millions throughout Germany. That's a legit Hitler quote. From a newspaper in America. This is before, remember, this is before Hitler was Hitler. Chicago Tribune was just interviewing this new up-and-coming politician in Germany. They asked him about Henry Ford and why he likes Ford so much. And he that's what he said. He wishes he, wishes he could send his shock troops 
to Chicago and other American cities to convince them that Ford should be the president because he really digs his anti-Jewish sentiment. And think about this. If Ford had actually pursued the, the presidential candidacy and become president, that could have really happened at some point. He did. He wanted to become president in, in, in 22. I don't I don't think it ever panned out. Obviously, it didn't pan out. I don't think it was anything more than just like a thought process. Sure. But yeah, that's yeah. Hitler loved it. They actually they were talking about I, I was reading further. Uh, the, the Nazis at that point were loading up cars and taking his book, The International Jew, and just giving it out. What? And I heard that even uh, I believe at one point Hitler was interviewed and he said that he had a life-size cutout of Henry Ford mm-hmm. in his room that he, like, just woke up every day and was like, Hitler had what's a, up? Hitler had a fucking fat head of uh, <laughs> Henry Ford on his fucking wall next to his yeah. desk. Yeah. 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 Henry Ford Crazy. is actually the only American who has the, the honor of being mentioned in Mein Kampf. Yeah. In a positive view. That's right. I, yeah. I did read something yeah. about that. And it, yeah. Hitler wrote that Ford is the single great man that maintains his independence against the Jews and the American unions. Yeah. And worse yet, it is debatable whether or not Henry Ford actually provided some level of funding to the Nazis at this point. Hitler denied it, but in a New York Times article from around the same time as the Tribune article, it was reported that a man named Herr Auer, who was a high-ranking German government official, was convinced that Ford was supporting the burgeoning Nazis both intellectually and financially. Herr Auer stated that the reverence for Ford was so deep among the Nazis that had he visited, he would have been received like a king. Now, back in the States, Jewish people were getting understandably pissed off at Ford and his bullshit antics, and lawsuits started flying at him. There were three major suits, but only one that actually made it through to the court. And considering his power diarrhea performance in his last court appearance, Ford makes the wise decision to skip testifying. Allegedly, he staged an automobile accident so that he could hide in the hospital. Uh, oh, Ford stages a car crash? Uh-huh. I'm going to mm. plead the fifth. <laughs> <laughs> but... I- if I'm Henry Ford, I'm coming up with a better excuse than being in a car crash. It's believable, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> At least it is, you know. It's like uh, the Wright brothers missing their connecting flight out of Kitty Hawk, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Not a good look. No. So around the same time, another problem was popping up for Ford. You see, Jewish people also needed automobiles. And Ford, spending most of his time talking shit about them, created a situation in which a boycott of Ford automobiles looked mighty worthwhile to the Jewish people. Uh, You think? Yeah, exactly. And it started to work. The lawsuits, they were bothering Ford, and the massive drop in sales of Ford automobiles pushed Henry into waving the white flag on publicly hating the fuck out of Jews. But behind closed doors. (laughs) That's that's my thing. Like, if you're not truly going to change as a person, and honestly, do you really change as a person? Yeah, but I mean, that's the the board pressuring him more so than anything else. Just a front, smoke and mirrors. There you go. Heinrich. <laughs> one, <laughs> one morning in 1922, Henry Ford tells his editor at the Dearborn Independent to chill the fuck out on the Jew articles and instead focus on the quote money question. Whatever that means, right? I don't even know what he's saying. Ernest Liebold, our boy Ernest Liebold, Ernie. Yeah, that's it. He hears about it and he uh he's not happy. He tries to dissuade Ford. He's like, Come on, Henry. You promised we'd always hate the Jews. Seriously. You like- promised. Like Look, we can, you know, we can keep hating the filthy Jews and focus on the money question at the same time, okay? Side note, Liebold's anti-Semitism was no secret at the Ford Company. He once had a box full of 100 swastika pens shipped to his office from Germany. Holy shit. And he was later quoted as saying of the independent newspaper campaign, quote, 
When we get through with the Jews, there won't be one of them who would dare raise his head in public. Are you fucking Jesus kidding me, Christ. dude? Seriously, and that they—that's his right hand man, his top aide. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it, man. The guy that bought the newspaper for him. Like, yeah, the guy that was running pretty much everything. He was his personal assistant. Uh-huh. So yeah, Liebold is still all about publishing anti-Jew propaganda. Before it was all like, ah, fuck that noise, Ernest, you whiny little bitch. Got to make some money. Yeah, he said, I'm losing Ernie. money. We're done with the Jew book, okay? We can still hate jazz together, but that's going to have to be enough. <laughs> but eventually, he uh, he had to go a step further. In 1927, Ford settles out of court on the biggest lawsuit against him, agreeing to pay the plaintiff's legal fees as well. And the settlement must have been fucking mondo, because he also closes the Dearborn Independent and issues a public apology to the Jewish people. Oh, wow. And apparently that apology went over really well. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. In the apology, he had to explain that he was mortified when he found out that the Protocols of the Elders of Zion was a hoax. He also explained that Jewish people were actually, you know, not money-grubbing demon beasts and were actually pretty cool sometimes. Pastrami's pretty good. But the funniest thing to me was that he seemed legitimately perplexed that so many Jews hated his guts for spending a fortune making them out to be subhuman scum. He's like, geez, dude. <laughs> He's like, I write one massive book series about you Jews being subversive devils and you guys go get your yarmulkes in a bunch. Give me a fucking break. But uh, yeah, so like you said, surprisingly, the public is quick to forgive old yeah. Henry. Even most of the Jewish community is cool with him again. But the problem is this. First, Ford didn't actually write that apology. He simply handed the task off to Louis Marshall, a prominent Jewish attorney and one of the founders of the American Jewish Committee, and Ford just signed his name to it. And second, old Henry was still in the uh, Jews are the biggest problem of the world mode. Going back to my point earlier, mm-hmm. like you can put up the smoke and mirrors, but deep down, it's going to come out. It's, it's yeah. hard to change the fiber of a person. Oh, certainly. I mean? Absolutely, yeah. man. Ford Motor Company had first set up shop in Berlin, Germany in 1925 but built an even larger plant in Cologne in 1931, and Ford of Germany did very well, especially in the build-up to the war years. And according to a U.S. Army report that was released in 1945, the German plant began producing vehicles of a strictly military nature for the Reich even before the war began. Ooh. Did he know what was coming? Or I guess he was just building them for their military. He didn't know. I don't know much about the world. <laughs> I just oh, that's know right. That's about right. He was cars. an imbecile. That's right. He was a moron. I forgot. So, so he didn't know. So it's okay, right? Yeah. They even established a war plant ready for mobilization day in a safe zone near Berlin with the approval of headquarters. Oh. So they knew yeah. what was going on here. And uh, regardless of the public apology to the Jewish people, Hitler remained a big fan of Henry Ford. Man, I would try to shake that off if I'm Henry Ford at this point. Like, you got to shake the Hitler bug, dude. Like, yeah. y- you can't be associated with that guy. Yeah, but this is all pre that. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's think of like how big of a name that Osama bin Laden was before 9 11 to what he was afterwards. Very good point. Very it's good true. point. But by 38, everybody had a pretty good idea because you had him, you know, taking back the Rhineland. You had him taking back Czechoslovakia, going into Austria. Like everybody was aware, like the the war footing was coming, and at this point also you'd already had like the night of the long knives, crystal knocked, which is when they smashed up all the Jewish stores. Yeah, sure. all this news was coming out. So sure. you know, if you are a wealthy person, has access and means, you know what's going on there, dude. Yeah, all sure. I'm saying is you need to separate yourself from one of the uh, marker points that we use here on Asshole Court. Hitler is the worst person, and probably in the history of at least modern history. Modern, modern history, history, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so yeah, you need to separate yourself from that image there if you want to sell cars in America there, Heinrich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he does the opposite. In 1938, Hitler awards Ford the Grand Cross of the German Eagle. Man, yeah, I, it's like I one read of the this. Highest yeah. awards that a foreigner can receive. It was the highest. Yeah, it was. It was the award was created by Hitler himself as a means to bestow the highest honor a foreigner could receive from the Nazi government. Dude, a normal person would totally condemn that and shun it and be like, dude, I had nothing to do with this. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But I mean, think about that today. I that, didn't hear anything about that when Ford was received the award. I, oh, no, absolutely not. He, could he you imagine like Osama bin Laden awarding Elon Musk the like award for whatever? Big yeah. props to technology I mean? award. Yeah. yeah. No, I love technology. That's right. Uh, and, you know, you're thinking, OK, maybe that this is just uh, some sort of PR stunt or whatever that they give these eagle thingies out like candy diplomacy tricks. But no, only four were ever issued, one of which went to fellow fascist dictator Benito Mussolini, Ooh. the leader of Italy, Hitler's partner in the war. And Ford was the only American to receive one. Oh, you know, buddy, I think you made a great analogy there with Elon Musk and Henry Ford. Not saying that Elon Musk hates Jews in the slightest at all, ever, <laughs> but just their uh, their status as an innovator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? And taking it to the next level. In, uh, yeah. Current American Taking culture. it to the next level. Exactly. Yeah. So we all think of, we know Tesla, RocketX, all, uh, SpaceX, all the, yeah. the cool shit he's doing. That's kind of the, I would guess, kind of the mindset people had towards Henry Ford yeah. during I this time. That's, that's, yeah. that's a reasonable Very good analogy. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. That same year... 1938, the German Ford Motor Company opens a plant in Berlin whose, quote, real purpose, according to U.S. Army intelligence, was producing troop transport type vehicles for the German army. Now, in 1939, after Germany invades Poland and officially kicks off World War II, German Ford became one of the largest suppliers of vehicles to the German army. They were also known to sell to the SS and the German police as well. In the post-war U.S. Army report from 1945, it mentions how demoralizing it was for American troops to see Nazi supply runs almost predominantly with Ford trucks. Oh, that's got to be just, I mean, horrible. That's Mm -hmm. like the Japanese hating life when uh, all the terrorists are rolling around in Toyota pickup trucks. You know what I mean? Every, uh, a lot of those... Unfortunately, the terrorist videos that are rolling around the internet, yeah. they're always rolling around a Toyota pickup truck. Well, but it's, not like, it's, it's not like Toyota sets up a plant and, you know, <laughs> for is ISIS. You know, <laughs> that's more that's more coincidental. They run for yeah. They make a great product. Yeah. And they're demonized the for to- them, Yeah, the Toyota Hilux. No, I mean, for the thing about that, that would be the equivalent. Imagine Toyota sets up shop in Syria and is like producing fucking trucks for ISIS. <laughs> they have a gun mount in the back. In yeah. The back. Yeah, with six stand-up spots where you can all... That's the difference in between the base model and, like, the luxury model. Yeah, the the LX versus the EX. (laughs) God, and you wonder why people call us idiots. (laughs) If you're liking what you're hearing so far, check out our other episodes on your favorite podcast platform. It could change your life forever. Or maybe just give you something good to listen to on your way to work. Enjoy the show, and thanks for your support. Oh, man. In 1940, the Nazis shocked the world when they steamrolled France in only a matter of weeks. The government of France surrenders and the Vichy Republic is created. For those of you unaware, the Vichy regime is nothing but a puppet French government that is controlled by the Nazis. Okay, so if the Nazis are like Coke classic, the Vichy Republic is like Diet Coke or Coke Zero. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And actually, on a side note, 
The Nazis loved Fanta. Really? Yeah. That orange, was the, straight up orange Fanta. Orange Fanta. Actually, Fanta was a uh, German Coke. They couldn't sell. They couldn't because of, there was uh, all sorts of uh, trade embargoes. They couldn't sell stuff to Germany. Mm-hmm. So German Coca Cola, quote unquote, split off and started producing Fanta. And uh, there you go. So, so the rest Fanta, is history. Fanta was Nazi soda. Huh? It was. And there you have it for all you Fanta drinkers out there. <laughs> Don't you wanna 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 Holocaust in? <laughs> now it's um, <laughs> all right. So following the fall of the French government, the uh, Ford Company worked quickly with French production to get up and running under the Vichy government. They installed collaborationists and quickly began supplying the Nazis again. Mm. Now this is way beyond the fact. Right, <clears throat> the war is happening. France, England are, are our allies on paper. You know what I'm saying? We're not actually in the war at this point. Ford is a American company and he intentionally sets up shop with the diet Nazis in France, you know, to make sure that they're supplied with war machines as the war goes on. Now, how doesn't the U.S. government intervene in this and try to make an example of them? That's the thing. I think that they had plausible deniability and saying that like, oh, well, we only have this is like this is beyond this show, because if you really want to get into this, what you have to look at is what they had to do in Germany was they had to sell off like roughly 51% of their company to German Ford, mm-hmm. right? But they still had a say in what was occurring. It was still Ford, you know what I'm saying? Of course. So they had, on paper, they could do it. But behind closed doors. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah. there was, you know, it was one of those things where people were kind of like, this is kind of fucked up, dude, but, uh, you know. The uh, the America lover in me, it, uh, it pisses me off knowing sure. that uh, a lot of my... Uh, fellow Americans love their Ford products and that could you imagine being one of those soldiers rolling around seeing a Ford like essentially attacking you? Oh yeah. I mean, that's well, that's the thing is it has to be crazy when you go, you know, there's a battle and there's a bunch of burned out Ford trucks and they're not yours. Right. They're just right. Nazi yeah. trucks. That's what you've like, been attacking. Right. Well, and right. it was, it was such a big deal that it was included in that report where they were like, they, it demoralized the troops to some extent. They were yeah. Like, what is this? That's what I'm so, saying. Like, sure. I, That'd be, yeah, no, that would leave a, uh, you want to talk about bad taste in your mouth? Yeah. You come home, I'd be fucking pissed off. Yeah, absolutely, man. So the Ford's deal with the uh, Vichy regime works out pretty well because prior to the Vichy uh, installation, Ford Motors in France wasn't much of a profit generator. But once you get to the contract to pump out war machines for the Nazis, well, your bottom line improves a little bit, doesn't it? Oh Yeah, sure. And now maybe some of you are thinking, well, he's just a businessman. That's just a shrewd business decision to which I will say that considering everything we know now, you're not only a degenerate sociopath, but you're also wrong because the British had come to Ford around the same time and asked him to set up shop in England to build airplane engines for the war effort. And Ford was all like, nah, I'm good, man. I'm a little overextended right now. He did open up Uh, shop in America, though, correct? He did because you didn't have a choice. Right, right. Didn't have a choice. And that's the thing, too, because another people, you know, somebody else might say, like, well, maybe Ford wasn't so great at making airplane engines. And that's why he said no. But that's not the case at all, because they were making airplanes over here. They knew how to do it. They knew how to do airplane engines and stuff like that. And he had big airplane factories, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So and meanwhile, German Ford was all in on that Nazi shit. They published things in their company newsletter like this. Quote, at the beginning of this year. We vowed to give our best and utmost for final victory, an unshakable faithfulness to our Fuhrer. Today, we say with pride that we succeeded. And a poem titled Fuhrer, published in April of 1940, showed up in the Ford newsletter of German Ford. It said, we have sworn to you once, but now we make our allegiance permanent, like currents in a torrent lost. 
we all flow into you. Even when we cannot understand you, we will go with you. One day we may comprehend how you can see our future. Hearts like bronze shields we have placed around you. And it seems to us that only you can reveal God's world to us. This is the, the fucking Christ. company, new company newsletter for what? Jim and Ford in 1940. So we get a company newsletter like quarterly, I think mm-hmm. it is. And if I got a company newsletter like that, mm-hmm. one, uh, that's a giant red flag. Hey, what the fuck are you talking yeah. about? Um, and B, like way over the top. Let's keep it very surface level at work, please. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't, yeah. I don't, I, for that to be in the company newsletter at Ford Germany during the war, that's just I, way over the top. And you, I mean, well, like I said, you, you, have the luxury, you have the luxury right now of your company newsletter being circulated and you can say sort of whatever you want. You don't have a Gestapo. You don't have a setup where they literally will tell on you if you say something. Everybody in Germany. Look, here's the, here, the reality is that there was a lot of people, I'm sure, that were in their mind that they were like, this is fucking crazy. dude. Yeah. I can't do this. But you couldn't say anything. Yeah. Sure. And it, it was absolutely just glorifying the Fuhrer. That, I mean, if you go back and listen to that poem again. It sounds like a biblical verse to God or something like that. It's right. crazy. Sure. Yeah. But at the same point, so Ford, they ha- they're signing off on this stuff. They know it's coming through there. So there you go. I mean, that's crazy. In 1941, Pearl Harbor happens. The U.S. enters the war and Ford can't be so cool with the Nazis anymore. No. Nope. doesn't have a choice. Got to right? cut you off. That's it. Ford claims that their German factories were annexed by the German state and that does appear to be true. At that really? point, they were taken. Yes. Wow. But. Uh, you know, the damage is done. Yeah. And total speculation, what if there was a side deal between Hitler and Ford? That that was the first thing that popped into my mind. Right. Even, yeah, though they were, even though they were annexed, you know, like uh, there had to be some talks among the top. Some sort of communication you like, know. hey, here's what's happening. Yeah. And here's what. I've got to dissolve myself from our relationship. Right, right. But hey, if you just take the buildings. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know. Well, like I said, in fact, his factories in Germany were so useful to the Nazis that the U.S. actually bombed them in the course of the war. Wow. Yeah. And Ford actually ended up getting paid for those damages post-war. Oh, son of a bitch. Mm, there it is. There's the master plan right there. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, so he can file a claim and say, yeah. well, they didn't, it wasn't my buildings anymore. And they got, but yeah. What we was were, that? Was that Roosevelt? Uh, well, yeah, FDR was in in, in there. Yeah, yeah so, the but is that also part of like maybe the? Uh, he did hate Roosevelt. Yeah, he did hate. He him. hated Roosevelt with a passion, and in fact, uh, Roosevelt invited him to the White House or something like that. And I can't remember what he said exactly, but it was something that that was just like you know, I went and just wanted to make sure that he wasn't like a Jew or something. It was something it was like, like that. the equivalent of Forrest Gump going being like, yeah. I went to the White House again, 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 and drank a bunch of soda. A Again. bunch of Fanta, and then I had to switch <laughs> because they knew I was a Nazi. <laughs> uh, anyways, in the mid-40s, Ford suffers two strokes. His health deteriorates. And if the story is to be believed, according to Josephine Goman, who was a director of women's personnel at the Ford Motor Company, Ford suffered his third and most debilitating stroke while watching uncut footage from the U.S. soldiers' discovery of one of the Nazi concentration camps. Goman reported that, quote, he never recovered his mind or physical strength. That shit will make you sick watching him. Yeah. I kind of hope that's what looped through his brain for the rest of his life at that point. Well, that's right. what you'd like to think, you know? So you're saying Hitler, <laughs> Henry was so utterly devastated by the damage that he might have done with his decades-long campaign against Jews that it literally sucked a life force out of him. But nope. Nope. 
I'm just kidding. Old Heinrich, he still had a little hate for the Jews in him. Uh. In his worst physical shape, his physician arranged for a reporter to visit the bedridden Ford in hopes of getting him out of his depression. That's probably the worst time. I mean, he is probably just hate ridden mm-hmm. and just angry at everything because he knows he's probably about to die and yeah. just ready to let it fly. What yeah. a bad PR yeah. move on that on that one. <laughs> that's that's no bueno. The reporter asked Ford what the chances of his company ever going public are, to which Ford replies, I'll take my factory down brick by brick before I'll ever let any of the Jew speculators get stock in the company. Oh, yikes. Shocked, Ford's physician quickly shut the interview down and walked the reporter out. Ford finally passes on April 7th, 1947 of a cerebral hemorrhage at the age of 83. He left behind a legacy that includes incredible American manufacturing, automobiles for practically every household, and bigotry and anti-Semitism at a level so high that it not only rivals the Nazis, but arguably inspired them. Take this last quote from Baldus von Schirach, leader of the Hitler Youth, about Ford's book, The International Jew is Proof. He said, You have no idea what a great influence this book had on the thinking of German youth. The younger generation looked with envy to the symbols of success and prosperity like Henry Ford, and if he said the Jews were to blame, we naturally believed him. To this day, Henry Ford's anti-Semitic literature can still be found in great abundance. Oh, it's terrible. There it is. Absolutely terrible. Henry Ford! Final scores. Wow. Man. Man. Was I educated today or what? Yeah, right? Good Lord. Um, I did know a little bit about his involvement with the Nazi culture and his anti-Semitism. Wow, right? That's great read-in where we talk about the stuff your fourth grade teacher didn't tell you about, right? This is not stuff, like I said, unless you dig for it, you're not going to find this. Mm -hmm. Of course. At all. At all. Man, oh man, what a lot to digest. Yeah. So, taking into account his achievements, his legacy, the company's still around today, all you F-150 owners might be thinking a little bit differently about your purchase now, right? <laughs> um, all right, I'm going to cut straight to it. Final ask score. I started this guy out at a 3.5. Mm-hmm. After all the deliberation and what I've learned today, my final asshole score for Henry Ford is a 6.5, a three-point oh, wow. jump there. Three-point jump. Okay. That's right. All right. All right, so for me, um, you know, I was always impressed with the empire that he created, but then again, that's not what we're questioning mm-hmm. here today on Asshole Court. We're trying to find out whether or not Henry Ford was an asshole, and by everything that has come to light in today's episode, it almost seems like he's the redneck cousin that just had a great idea and shot up and became like, you know, the Jethro mm-hmm. off of... Uh, Beverly Hillbillies. Off the Beverly... Yeah, the old Jethro. thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. <laughs> but yeah, he basically was the hey, Jethro. Hey, Jed, move away from there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he was basically the Jethro off of the Beverly Hillbillies. And, um, you know, I, I don't like in all the ways that he contributed to the Nazi party and also just with the literature that was being passed out globally to all of his different dealerships along the way so i'm gonna have to jump my score up my original score was a 5.0 for henry ford i'm gonna have to jump it up and i'm gonna give him a 7.0 as a final asshole score for henry ford okay Uh, to me it seems fairly obvious here man like the reality is no matter which way you slice it it is an absolute fact that he contributed to the uh ideology of the nazis like they all say in their own words they said that he a lot of them that were at the, the lower levels, he convinced them 
that he was correct in hating Jews. That's huge. That's absolutely huge. Oh, that's huge. That's insane. Now, that's just, we know that. Arguably, he may have financed them in the 20s. It absolutely sounds like he, he did. He certainly didn't have any problems taking awards from the Nazis. He didn't have any complaints about it. He had an opportunity to redeem himself. He uh, could have apologized for all the stuff that he did. He did apologize, but he didn't actually he didn't write that apology. He didn't it doesn't matter. It. It, no. You can no. say whatever you want. It's whether or not you mean it. Yeah. And, and on his deathbed, he still was cussing us. Yeah. Man, he, yeah, well, he still. And then let's look at the war effort. He hamstrung the American war effort in World War II. I don't think there's another war that's ever existed where the difference between like right and wrong has been so stark. Right. I agree 100%. With he that. had an opportunity to help the British. He said no. He didn't have to help the Germans as much as he did. But he did. He absolutely did, and I think he loved it. I think he hated Jews till the day he died. I think he agreed with Hitler till the day he died. I think if he had had his own personal choice in all this matter, the Germans would have won the war. Oh, 100%. If Uncle Sam hadn't come knocking at the door. Mm -hmm. So, in my opinion, in terms of being an absolute asshole, to be tied so easily to Hitler, who is the top of the scorecard at 11, I have to give him a 9.5. Yeah. A wow. 9.5 for all the stuff that we wow. know. That's it's so fine that he made a co an American company and changed everything, but at the end of the day, all the stuff he did is so insanely negative and hateful. I just don't see how you could go any lower than that. That's yeah, my opinion. Sure. All right. So with a 6.5 from Randy, a 7.0 from Buddy, and a 9.5 from Mikey, we're looking at a average asshole score of 7.66 repeating okay. for Henry Ford. And as we like to say, that 7.666 mark of the beast. Scored way higher than I thought he would. He's a horrible human being. <laughs> I didn't realize how horrible he was going yeah. into this. Yeah. And we hope you guys learned a lot as well. Thank you for joining us so much on this episode of Asshole Court. Again, uh, always like us and follow us on your favorite podcast platforms. Tell all your friends. Tell all your neighbors. And until next time, this is Asshole Court. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to hear more of Asshole Court, find us anywhere you download your favorite podcasts. Give us a good rating on your favorite platform. It really does help. You'll definitely want to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at AHC Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, depending on what you have to say. So, until next time, remember the golden rule, and don't be an asshole, or you might find yourself on Asshole Court.